This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has been interviewed in four different investigations by the state's anti-corruption watchdog on various complaints about the state government. Now, IBAC has released its findings on the only one to look directly at Andrews and the role his office played in awarding millions of dollars in grants to a Labor-linked union in 2018. It clears Andrews of corrupt conduct, but finds that one of his advisers gave favourable treatment to the union against the public interest. And it's warning of a broader decline in the public service nationally. Today, Victorian state correspondent Benita Kolovos on what IBAC has described as grey corruption in the Andrews government. It's Thursday, the 20th of April. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So, Benita, Victoria's anti-corruption watchdog, it's called the Independent Broad-Based Anti-Corruption Commission, or IBAC, has launched a number of investigations involving the Andrews government over the years. So why is this latest one called Operation Daintree important? It's important because this is the one where Premier Daniel Andrews and his staff were directly implicated in the investigation. And at its core, it's a probe into Andrews's role in the awarding of two grants to a Labor-linked union before the 2018 state election. The two grants were given to the Labor-linked Health Workers Union, which is known as the HWU, which ran the Health Education Federation, the HEF, which was at the time only recently established. The other thing that we're announcing today as well is $2.2 million in additional investment in a partnership with the HWU to make sure that every member of staff is trained and has the knowledge and the skills to keep themselves safe. So in the first one, which was announced on the 23rd of October 2018, was an election commitment of, I think, $2.2 million um, to announce some training for 1,000 frontline health workers, which was going to be in partnership with the HWU um, for occupational violence in healthcare settings. The union at the time understood that HEF would be the ones to deliver that training. We know that health environments can be very challenging. Some patients and others who visit hospitals can exhibit very challenging uh, behaviour. And it's very important that we have our staff, all of our frontline staff, not just clinical staff, I think there's something like 40,000 of those... And then the government signed another contract five days later. This was hours before the government goes into caretaker mode before an election which was $1.2 million between what was then the Department of Health and Human Services and HEF again to provide occupational violence training to health workers. Now, the reason that they looked into these grants was because in May 2019, IBAC received a complaint from an anonymous source alleging that the procurement process and the awarding of these funds was serious corrupt conduct. 
they alleged that no competitive process was followed and the HEF was not an appropriate group to award the money to. This was because they'd just been established. They obviously had links to the union. So the person that put in this tip was concerned about the process. We didn't hear much about the IBAC's investigation after that initial report came out that it was investigating um, these grants because the hearings were all behind closed doors, right? That's correct. So there's a high benchmark for IBAC to hold hearings in public and it said it wasn't met in this situation. So it did all its interviews with witnesses in private. That included two health ministers, Jenny McCarkos and Jill Hennessy, the Premier, their advisors and health department staff. So in those interviews, IBAC investigators asked witnesses about whether their political advisors had applied pressure on public servants to approve those grants. Hmm. And so what did they find? So important to note from the start, they did not make a finding of corrupt conduct against anyone that was interviewed. However, um, IBAC did say that from the start of 2018, the HWU and its secretary began lobbying the government to start doing this training Um, They first went to an advisor in the Premier's office. They weren't happy with the approach that that advisor was taking. So then they went to an advisor in the Health Minister's office. Mm. They worked together, created this proposal, submitted it to the Health Department. And then from that point on, the advisor and the Secretary of the Union were both kind of applying pressure to get the grant approved. I think it's important to note IBAC made no findings against the Secretary of the Union accepting in part that neither she nor the union were actually familiar with how these procedures at the department work. And so what happened to that second grant, the one that the Premier announced just before the 2018 election? So that was the one to train the 1,000 frontline health workers. Um, Completely different approach happened with that. It went through a competitive tender process while the other one didn't. At that point, Jenny McCarkos had taken over as health minister and she said things had not been going well with the other contract. Right. So the union works really closely with these ministers' advisors to get a proposal for these grants. The money is ultimately awarded to the union and then the training program begins. So how did the training program go in the end? So health department had significant concerns about the standards of HEF's training Um, Despite this, the senior advisor in the Premier's office asked an advisor in the Health Minister's office to dissuade the department from taking steps to terminate the contract. Mm. In the end, um, it was ended in 2020 due to the pandemic. I think IVAC said only 83 of the 575 staff had actually been trained and I think in total only $335,000 of the $1.2 million contract was actually paid out. Right. So it sounds like IBAC's report has shed a lot of light on how these grants came about, but it hasn't found any actual allegations of corrupt conduct against Andrews or his health ministers or their staff. So what did IBAC conclude was really going on here? So IBAC in its report lays out what they thought was the problem and and it's really a mix of things. There's a lack of understanding and disregard for the ethical obligations that ministerial advisors have. This relates to their boundaries with public servants who are meant to be independent of government. There was also a lack of oversight by these advisors by their ministers. I think both health health ministers said they didn't know and they weren't aware of what was going on with the contract negotiations. And yet they mentioned this propensity by some advisors and public servants to avoid or to ignore or break the rules to achieve outcomes that are not in the public interest. 
And IBAC also found that ministerial officers were giving privileged access and favourable treatment to special interest groups to the detriment of the public interest. So overall, it's a concerning picture of how the government is being run. So it's not, there's no corrupt conduct. So why is this so significant then, Benita? Yeah, so it may not reach the threshold of what we know as corruption, but it is what IBAC refers to in the report as grey or soft corruption. I'm particularly focused on what I call soft corruption. This is something Victorian IBAC Commissioner Robert Redlick has been warning us about for some time. That is corruption that doesn't necessarily involve the commission of crimes. He says it's a huge problem in politics in Australia and all over the world. Which is quite deleterious to good governance and ensuring that the outcomes of decision-making serve the public interest. Next. What is grey corruption? And what does this IBAC report mean for the Andrews government? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Okay, Benita. So before the break, you brought up a warning that IBAC's been giving for some time now against grey corruption, in quotes. What does that mean? So the report defines it as conduct which is unethical in nature but doesn't reach that criminal threshold of corrupt conduct, maybe because of lack of proof. It's behaviour that might not be criminal but unfairly favours political allies, friends and networks of decision makers, which, you know, corrodes standards of governance and decision making, which is meant to be in the public interest. The report says if it's left unchecked, it increases the risk of corrupt criminal offending. Mm. So IBAC says in its report that this has involved a decline in standards and transparency, and it says that this is part of a broader national and global trend which involves the public service becoming more politicised, more partisanship in its promotions and in the increased use of ministerial advisors. IBAC says that Victoria is not immune to this global trend. It's led to a centralisation of power within the Premier's office and a, a decline in the public service, which is meant to be this frank and fearless body providing advice to the government. So did the IBAC report find there was any evidence of grey corruption by the Andrews government in awarding these two grants to the Health Workers Union? It did. It said it found ample evidence of the misuse of power and influence by ministerial advisors and department executives who breached their codes of conduct and, you know, the established conventions. There was a lack of appropriate supervision and control of those advisors, um, which at the end of the day, ministers were accountable. What kind of picture does this report paint about the way the Andrews government is being run? 
It confirms some of what we had already started to hear about the Premier and the way his cabinet and his government is run, which is in a highly centralised way. I thought the quote from Victorian Health Minister Jenny McCarkos when she was interviewed by IBAC, she said that the Premier's office has tentacles everywhere within government. We've heard this. Um, we've heard that everything runs through his office. Um, I think all the media advisors, for example, all report to the Premier's private office rather than to their ministers. Mm. So it's not new, I guess, but it's confirming everything we'd started to hear about how the Premier's office is run. It's not a very flattering picture. So what does this IBAC report mean for Andrews himself? So IBAC said it would be a matter for Parliament to consider whether the conduct of his advisor was serious enough for the Premier to be held responsible for it on the basis that he ought to have reasonably known what he was doing, what was happening. All parliaments in Australia are based on like the Westminster system and the principle of that is that these ministers and the Premier are ultimately responsible for their advisers. What IBAC's saying is the Premier probably should have known that this was happening and if he didn't, that's a problem in and of itself. Ultimately, though, um, IBAC said it's up to Parliament what they want to do with that. I'm not sure if Parliament will act on it. A bit sceptical if that will happen given the Andrews government has such a big majority in the Parliament. Mm. So what has the report recommended the Andrews government do to rectify some of these concerns from IBAC? So there's 17 recommendations in total, Um, a lot of, you know, amending codes of conduct, introducing new laws to formalise, you know, the agreements that ministers staff sign on to. Um, There's a really interesting one that would have ministerial advisors have to front up to parliamentary inquiries because at the moment they don't have to do that, which Mm -hmm. I thought in practice, that could be really interesting to see how that would work. Um, But overall, they just want to make sure that ministers have a clear understanding of how they manage their staff, how they're accountable for their staff, and then the role of those advisors, making sure that that's more accountable and transparent. All right. So, Benita, what has Dan Andrews said about the report's findings? In the hours after the report was released, Andrews fronted the press in a hard hat, in high vis with his Deputy Premier Jacinta Allen. We're grateful for that educational report and those 17 findings, those 17 recommendations, I should say, and uh, we will uh, get on with that work and, uh, and update you. He declined to apologise. He described the report as educational in nature and that he would consider all of its 17 recommendations. So, uh, obviously, uh, I am accountable and fundamentally responsible for uh, driving a process to consider those 17 recommendations, to look at them very carefully, uh, to potentially further engage with IBAC to seek their advice uh, and then to respond uh, once that work has been done. Andrews rejected the report's suggestion that power was centralised in his office and he distanced himself from the staffers involved, saying they no longer worked for the government. He distanced himself from the former health ministers named in it, which is Jill Hennessy and Jenny McCarkos, though they were both cleared of any corruption findings. Do you think you said you accept responsibility? You didn't apologise. Do you think you have anything to say sorry for? Well, uh, my role, Raph, is to... Uh, be accountable, of course. And again, I just stress uh, that there are no findings against anyone in this uh, report. The Anti-Corruption Commission has looked at a series of matters from some years ago and have found no corrupt conduct. But that's just a fact. 
And it's really important that that fact is out there and that people know it and clearly understand that. My responsibility, uh, I can't change what happened four or five years ago. Uh, the people involved are either no longer in the parliament or from a staff point of view, they don't work for the government anymore. They don't work for the public service. They, and they haven't done for years. But of course, Andrews is still in office and the IBAC report said that ultimately ministers are responsible for the conduct of their staff. You mentioned, Benita, that Andrews is not directly implicated by this report. The Premier is very popular in Victoria at the moment. What does this report mean for Andrews' legacy? I think for the Premier, it just adds to this perception that he and his government shirk transparency and accountability. This comes just weeks after he returned from a trip to China that many described as being shrouded in secrecy. So Mm. I don't really think it helps on that front. There's also the matter of the other IBAC investigations into the Andrews government. There was Operation Watts, which I mentioned, released last year, and it revealed what even the Premier described as a rotten culture within Victorian Labor branch. It found two Labor MPs misused funds for political purposes and engaged in nepotism. And then there's the two investigations which haven't released their final reports yet. That's Operation Sandin, investigating alleged political donations by property developers, and Operation Richmond, which is looking into the salary negotiations between the government and the firefighters' union. Considering all these compounding investigations and allegations, I just don't think it really helps with Andrews's legacy. And this report from IVAC today does show that there are problems there. That was Benita Kolovos, Guardian Australia's Victorian state correspondent. You can read her piece on IBAC's report at theguardian.com. It's called Tentacles Everywhere. Victorian ministerial advisor improperly influenced $1.2 million union contract, IBAC finds. We'll post a link to that article on the Full Story website. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Daniel Simo, Karishma Luthria, myself and Joe Koning, who also wrote our theme music. Sound design and mixing by Camilla Hannon and Tegan Nichols. The executive producer for this episode was Miles Martignoni. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.